We are continuing in Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21. And we're reading from verse 9, but let let me just uh, uh, tell you what happened in verses 1 through 8. In verses 1 through 8, Sarah finally gives birth to Isaac. So Isaac is born. He's given the name Isaac. He's circumcised. They have a big celebration for him. And we talked last week about all the joy that goes around having a child when it's done right. How it's, it's, it's often the best day in the life of a couple is the day that they find out they're going to have a child. And the next best day is the, the, the day that they ultimately have that child. But if we do it wrong, if we get that out of sequence, if that happens outside the bonds of marriage, it's often the worst day in a person's life. The worst day in two people's lives. Because now they've got big things to think about. And uh, uh, so, so we talked about getting that right. Now I've been, kind of, uh, I've, I've been kind of blunt about Abraham in so many ways where we've been talking about his strength and his weaknesses. We're going to see some real strengths in the, in the midst of what had formerly been weaknesses. Let's read from verse 9 of Genesis chapter 21. Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, mocking Therefore, she said to Abraham, drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her, for, though, for through Isaac your descendants shall be named." And of the son of the maid, I will make a nation also, because he is your descendant. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder and gave her the boy and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. So what happens here is that... Is that uh, um, Many, many rabbis think, and also Christian scholars think, that the mocking took place, that, that uh, um, the mocking took place because, because this son of Hagar had, had uh, um, the son of Hagar had done it even right at the weaning party for Isaac. In verse 8 it says, the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Now, then it says, Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, mocking. So remember, Abraham had a son through Hagar. We talked about this. Where did he get Hagar? He got Hagar when they had gone to Egypt. So she was a gift from Pharaoh to him. He had gotten her as a gift because of a lie that he had told to Pharaoh, saying that, that Sarah was his sister, Got, and and he, he got all sorts of uh, uh, slaves and gifts for that. And then he got a bunch more gifts as restitution for even having him just place her in, 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 in uh, his harem. So, so he got her under, under uh, um, difficult circumstances that he never should have been in to begin with. He never should have been in those circumstances to begin with. And, uh, um, and so then when Sarah gets really saddened and frustrated that she's not able to bear a son to Abraham, she tells him 
you go ahead, take my maid as your wife, and go ahead and have relations with her, and let a child be born to her, and that will be considered our child. There was nothing wrong with that in those days. In fact, you can read, of it, it was quite common of the land, but it was wrong for Abraham to have done it. The whole way that he had gotten Hagar through a lie was wrong, and the whole way that he was functioning with Hagar in taking her as a wife was wrong. Because remember, as believers, we are called to something higher than the culture. Even though culturally it was okay, it was not okay for, for Abraham to have done that. And so, so, uh, um, so, so you see that, that, that this son, who was the son of, of, uh, of the Egyptian woman, Hagar, was, was something, this never should have happened. And the son now is going to be a people, a nation, and this is the Arab nation going to be continually be at enmity with with the children of Israel, with the children of the descendants of Abraham to this very day, because and they they too are Semitic people. They are children of Abraham. But it says that that he was mocking. So remember, it says it says that uh, um, in verse in verse five of the same chapter. Now Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And then we know from chapter 17, verse 25, that's, that's, a, that's a year before that, that uh, um, the, the, this was a year before that Abraham's other son was 14 now at the birth. So he's 14 years old at the birth, which means that at the weaning party, he may be 16, he may be 18, he may be 20, but he's somewhere in that region of 16 to 20. So let's just say he's 18. Now, an 18-year-old has great advantage over a 4-year-old. Great advantage over a 4-year-old. An 18-year-old is actually responsible for taking care of a 4-year-old sibling. But here he is mocking. Now, why would he mock this child? Where do you think that he learned how to mock? Probably from his mother, Hagar. Remember, his mother, Hagar, had looked at Sarah with disdain as soon as she became pregnant. As soon as she became pregnant, she had looked at, 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 uh, at Sarah with disdain. And, and uh, uh, we can, we can uh, see that again in, in, verse, in chapter 16, in, in chapter 16, verse um, uh, 4. He went into Hagar and she conceived and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. Her mistress was despised in her sight. And because of that, it caused a real conflict between, between Sarah and Hagar. And then their son Ishmael was born. And, and so there's conflict here, a lot of conflict. God told Hagar, you go back into that home and you submit to that lady. Submission is very important in the kingdom of God. And I see a lot of young people go deeply astray because they don't know how to submit to authority at work. And uh, uh, they get in real trouble. I see faculty go astray because they don't know how to submit to authority in the university. And so, so um, uh, she never really learned how to submit to authority. And now she, her own son, Ishmael, picks up the same habit. And he ends up mocking this boy, his half-brother. And that's going to get them thrown out. In verse 9 of chapter 21, Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, that's Ishmael the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, mocking. 
Therefore she said to Abraham, Drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. Now that's a pretty strong thing to do. Just drive her out. Ah, it's a a, a bit much. How, How about I just talk to them? How's that? How about I just talk to them? Now, now, it may be that Sarah saw something here that we're not easily seeing. And that may be that she may be remembering the story of Cain and Abel, how the older brother Cain killed Abel. An 18-year-old can easily do away with a 4-year-old very, very quickly. And I would bet that a mother would be afraid to ever take her eyes off a child that's four years old, knowing that there's an 18-year-old brother that feels this way and that that brother's mother, Hagar, feels this way about Sarah and now also Sarah's offspring. She may have been really protecting her own child, maybe seeing something that we don't even see because she said, get rid of her. We cannot have them here. We can't have them here. And in fact, that verse, that, that chap, chapter 21, verse 10, that is quoted in the New Testament in the book of Galatians. It's quoted to say that there is a separation between the two peoples. There shall be a separation between the people of, 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 of the covenant and the people not of the covenant. There shall be a separation. So God really took note of this. And he happened to agree with her. He agreed with her. As hard as this word is, he happened to agree with her. And this is really distressing Abraham because God hasn't yet spoken to Abraham. It says the matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. It distressed him, not just regular, it distressed him greatly. In fact, if you look at the original wording, it says... In Abraham's eyes, it was severely wrong. You don't just take a mother and her child who's 18 and just send them into the wilderness. I've been to that wilderness of Beersheba because there's a a research station uh, uh, 30 miles south of Beersheba. And and, uh, that's where they do their solar research because there's like sun and only sun there. And that's where they do their water research. On other, in other words, how do you get water flowing in areas like this? And so I've been out to that, that site several times. And uh, it is just scary. You go to a place like that and you look around and you're like, I hope I don't get stranded out here. It's nasty. Now, they have a lot of nice facilities built there now. But uh, it's scary. And he has to send her off into this. And it distressed him greatly because of of, of, of his maid, which formerly was called his wife. Even God is, is, is going to refer to her as the maid now. No longer refers to her as Abraham's wife. She really lost her welcome there. And this can happen. Sometimes we don't appreciate all we have until it's taken away from us. And I've seen this happen. I've seen graduate students who were given every opportunity in graduate school and they just kind of, you know, didn't like it, and they were always complaining, and finally they would just go, just go. They were removed from the program. And I remember one student, he was, uh, a few months later, he was filling chemical, big chemical things in a chemical plant, making minimum wage, and he called me up. He says, is there something I can do? 
He says, I'd really like to come back to graduate school. I actually had it pretty good there. I said, there's no way they're going to take you back. You burned so many bridges. You never appreciated any opportunities that they gave you. You're not coming back here. And this guy was filling big chemical vats, making minimum wage. And he was en route to a PhD, formerly in a nice air-conditioned building, as opposed to working out in a, you know, a sheet metal building with open sides. Sometimes we don't appreciate all we have until we lose it. She should have been far more appreciative. And it says, it says in verse 12, But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For through Isaac your descendants shall be named. And of the son of the maid, I will make a nation also, because he is your descendant. So he tells Abraham, what she tells you, what she's telling you, listen to her. Now, this is not a carte blanche that anything she tells you, you have to listen to. In fact, this is the only case in the Bible where God said, what your wife is telling you now, listen to it. Although there are multiple instances in the Bible where people would have done well if they had listened to their wives. Multiple instances of that. Pilate's wife, Pilate who was the vacillating judge concerning Jesus, and condemning him to death. His wife had told him, have nothing to do with that righteous man because I suffered greatly in a dream because of him last night. He would have done well to listen to her. David was, was cautioned by his wife, Michal, to flee because Saul is coming after you to kill you. And she let him down through the window and he took off. And sure enough, Saul's men came to kill him, but he wasn't there. So it, it, there, there are multiple instances where they would, people would have done well to have listened to their wives or did well to listen. And this is one of the cases. God said, you do this and just remember, I promised you with your son, he had promised formally that he was going to be over 12 nations. He was the progenitor of the 12 Arab nations. And, and uh, that's what was promised. And he says, I'm going to make of him great nation because, not because he was, Ishmael's a great kid, but because he is your descendant. Just because he is your son, I'm going to bless him. That's a great promise. That really is a great promise. You know, sometimes our children don't do everything that we think that they should be doing. Did you know that? And God gives me great assurance I'm going to bless them because that's your child. Just because that's your child, I'm going to bless them. I'll watch over them. And I commit them into the hands of the Lord. But I know He's going to be with my children because I follow Him. Just because He's your descendant, I will bless Him. And as soon as Abraham hears that, he's, he's okay. Now remember, all of this is coming upon Abraham because of this blended family. Everything is, is great with Sarah and the kid and they had this party and she's rejoicing. And now this thing from the past, from 16 or 18 years ago, is coming back to haunt him. When he lied to Pharaoh and then he did something that the culture said was fine but he shouldn't have done it. And in that case, Sarah had told him, you go and you sleep with that woman. In that case, he shouldn't have listened to her. But he did. But he's paying for this. 
He's paying for this now. In this situation, the pain is there. But look at what's in the midst of this. So we all make decisions. I mean, my life is full of them. We all make decisions that we regret. Life deals things, and sometimes we make the right decisions, and sometimes we don't. We all make decisions that we regret. But how do we recover from those? A lot of times we can't mend that bridge from the past. You can't undo the birth of Ishmael. You can't undo the marrying of Hagar. You can't undo that. There's a lot of things you can't undo in life. A lot of times you might marry somebody and they turn out not to be the person that you thought. Maybe you got ahead of yourself and you didn't get the right counsel and you didn't do what you should have done and you end up in this marriage and then the marriage doesn't work out. What are you going to do? Are you going to just, well, my life is over now. No. Look at what Abraham did. He had a blister on his past that even 18 years later is causing him all this trouble and causing his wife to get married, get upset with him for having done the very thing that she had told him to do. But look how he handles it. Once God tells him, you listen to your wife, I will take care of your son. What does he do? Immediately. It says in verse 14, So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread. What you will see in great men of God like Abraham is immediate obedience. Immediate obedience to the Lord. Sometimes I can show people what the Bible says. Well, I have to go home and pray about that. I'm like, no, you don't. You don't pray about that. You just obey. It says in Psalm 119, verse 60, I made haste and I did not delay to keep your commandments. You make haste. You do not delay to keep the commandments of God. We hurry to keep His commandments. You don't pray about, well, should I listen to God's Word or not listen to God's Word? That's not an issue of prayer. All right? You obey. There are things in life that we just obey in. He was very quick to obey God when he knew the will of God. So Abraham rose early in the morning and he took bread and a skin of water and he gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder and he gave her the boy and he sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. This wandered has this connotation of of, uh, uh, wandering aimlessly. And it's very easy to get turned around in that desert. Now, it's not like the Saudi Arabian desert that you think of, just sand everywhere. It's not like that. It's got tiny little shrubs and lizards running around, and, and, uh, 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 and, but, but lots of jagged areas and, and things that you could fall off of, but just dry. And, and how plants live there, they, they don't. I mean, they just get brown, and then when the rainy season starts, they'll get green again. But... Um, uh, it, it's, it's quite foreboding and very easy to get turned around because there's no big landmarks to look at. But he sent her away. But he was able to recover from this by trusting God's word. That's the lesson, that you can recover from big problems that mess up your life. All of us have problems. It doesn't go the way we planned. I mean, you may plan this, that you're going to marry a spouse, and that spouse is going to be your spouse for, you know, for 60 years. For the rest of your life, you're going to be married to that spouse and you're going to have, you're going to have three wonderful children. 
That's the plan. It doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes, for no fault of yours, your spouse rebels. Sometimes, for no fault of yours, your spouse starts running around with, a, with another individual. That happens in life. It happens in Christian marriages. How do you recover from that? So, so, so I want to I just reflect upon some of the instances where people who were strongly loving God really blew it in life. So one of the things that David, King David did, God loved David so much. One of the things that King David did, he was being chased by Saul all the time. So this is the king trying to kill him. The king of, uh, of, of Israel is trying to kill David. So David's running and finally David gets tired of running all the time. And so then in 1 Samuel chapter 27, so this is talked about in 1 Samuel chapter 27 and 30. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 27 verse 1, Then David said to himself, Now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than to escape into the hand of the Philistines. Saul will then despair of searching for me searching for me any more in all the territory of Israel, and I will escape from his hand. So David arose and he crossed over, he and his 600 men who were with him, to Ashish, king of Maok, king of Gath. So he goes to Ashish, so he goes to a Canaanite king, and he flees. So did David pray about this? No. David said to himself, it says in 27 verse 1 of 1 Samuel, David said to himself, this is exactly how we get into trouble. I say to myself, this is not good. I think I need to do this. Well, on what authority? I said it to myself. You know, I was told to do this by myself. David said to himself, now one day I will perish by the hand of Saul. God never said he would perish. God said he would sustain him. There's nothing better for me to do than escape. So he goes into the hand of, uh, of he goes into the hand of Ashish, a Philistine king. And he ends up he ends up getting really involved there and the Philistine king gives him a city called Ziklag. And that is called that city of Ziklag was called by 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 the it was given to Israel for many years because that city was given by Ashish to King David. King David went so far as to wanted to fight in a war against Israel, against Israel with King Ashish. He was going to fight against his own people. I mean, he was totally messed up. For 14 months, for 16 months, he lived with, with, uh, uh, with king, in, in King Ashish's kingdom. Well, one, something happened. So remember I told you that the city that was given to him was, was, uh, um, was Ziklag. So David would go out and make raids on different cities. And it, while he was making raids, he would take a lot of stuff. And then he'd kill everybody in the city. And he killed everybody in the city because he was making raids on Philistine cities. And he didn't want Ashish, now his overlord, to hear about this. Well, the only way he could ensure that Ashish wouldn't hear about him raiding Philistine cities was to kill everybody in the city. Now, in chapter 30 of 1 Samuel, verse, chapter 30, ver, uh, um, verse 18... 1 Samuel chapter 30, no, well, we'll start reading from 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. It says, Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it 
with fire. So David's out making a raid on another land. Guess what happens? Ziklag gets attacked by the Amalekites. He loses everything. Everything is gone, along with, with his two wives are gone, and, every, and, and his 600 men who are out fighting with him, all of their wives are gone. And, and uh, imagine, imagine losing your wife, your family, losing everything. Imagine that. That's hard, right? Imagine losing them. Well, it was twice as hard on David as it will ever be on any of you. Because he lost two wives. You know, it's hard. You know, the man lost two wives in that one day. And it says in, in verse, in verse uh, 5, it says, Now David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him, for all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. All right, so his own men want to kill him because their families were lost. You were our leader. Why, did, why didn't you leave some of us here to defend this Ziklag? So they're going to kill David. So he's really distressed. So what does he do? He goes and he strengthens himself in the Lord his God, something we don't find him doing any time during that 16 months. He strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then he inquired of God. He says, should I, should I go and, and attack the Amalekites, he says, go and attack them and you'll recover all. And then the last verse of, uh, of verse 18 of 1 Samuel chapter 30 says, so David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken and rescued his two wives. So things go wrong in life. Things go wrong, but David was able to recover. Now that wasn't, that wasn't the only thing he'd done wrong. Remember, David had sinned with Bathsheba. David had seen with Bathsheba where he had taken this woman. He had seen her from her window bathing. He had seen her from the window bathing and he went and he inquired of his men. He says, if, if you look at where David's house was, you can, you can go see where his palace was. It was up on a hill and all the other, all the other rooms, all the other places were, were, were lower. The women would bathe on the rooftop at night. You bathe on the rooftop at night so you're not easily seen. You do it on the rooftop so you're not easily seen. But the king has a great view. He's up roaming around at night. He's not sleeping. He sees Bathsheba bathing, and he says to his assistant, he says, who is that? Uh, and he says, oh, that's Bathsheba, the, son, the, the wife of Uriah. Uriah was the guy, one of his mighty men, out fighting his battles the daughter of another one of his mighty men who's also out fighting the battle. And that is the granddaughter of Ahithophel, your trusted, your, 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 your trusted counselor. You see, men know what other men are thinking. He's looking at that woman. He's saying, who is that woman? He's not just wanting to know her name. He's getting the hots for her. Now, remember, he's got all these wives of his own. And he's up wandering around at night on his rooftop. And so he calls her to his place, easily overpowers her because he's king. She's not. He ends up raping her. She ends up getting pregnant. Everything's a mess. He ends up having her husband killed to try to cover this thing up. And then Nathan the prophet is sent by God to confront him. And so that's in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7. That, that's really bad, isn't it? I mean, that's a really bad thing. Nathan confronts him in verse 7, says, you're the man 
And the Lord, the, the Lord said, this is in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7, Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, It is, it is I who anointed you king over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added many more things like these. In other words, he says, I gave you all this. I gave you lots of wives. I gave you lots of concubines. And if that had been too little, I'd have given you more. But you had to take what was another man's. You see how bad that was? You look at David's life. He's now confronted by the prophet. And you wonder, could David ever recover from this? Could David ever recover? The question is not whether God would forgive him. Forgiveness was there. David repents. And, and uh, um, so David, David ends up repenting. David goes to the, to the temple and he sits there and he, he, he prays for this child. And God says, I'm going to kill the child. I'm going to kill the child that she's pregnant with. And God did. The child was born and the child ends up dying. And, and after the child dies, this is what David does. Uh, after he inquired for the child. Then it happened on the seventh day. This is in this is in Second uh, Samuel, uh, chapter twelve, verse eighteen. Then it happened on the seventh day that the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, "Behold, while the child was still alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to our voice. How then can we tell him that the child is dead, since he might do himself harm?" But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David perceived that the child was dead. So David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed, anointed himself, changed his clothes, and he came into the house of the Lord, and he worshipped. Then he came to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. David learned how to recover. This is the lesson for you when you really blow it in life. Will you recover? And recovery comes by following God. David followed God. He strengthened himself in the Lord when he was confronted with, with this Ashish problem and then his, all his... He can, he, and he recovered. He recovered from this situation. He wrote Psalm 51 in the midst of this. And he said, Heal me, Lord, and I will convert sinners to you. You can restore me. I am always amazed at the life of David, how he could recover from so great a fall. Very few can recover from so great a fall. If you look at, if you look at Paul, let's look at the life of Paul. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 verse 13. Paul was a persecutor of the church. You may think you're bad. You're nowhere close to where Paul was. He would go out and he would rip children away from their parents if they were Christians. He would throw the parents in jail and he would have the children abandoned. He, would, he did this in Jerusalem and then he was on his way to Damascus to do this to the Jews there as well. He hated the church. Out of the midst of that, God saved him. How did Paul, after what he had done, after he had probably had people imprisoned and killed, you know, if you kill somebody, it's not easy to recover from that. I mean, just so devastating on you. How did he recover? He says in in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, 
forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. How do I do it? How can you live with yourself, Paul, after the way you treated the church? How can you serve the Lord? How, you, how can you still do this? I forget what lies behind and I reach forward to what lies ahead. I have said so many hurtful things to people. If I dwelt on that, I'd never be able to function again. I've said so many hurtful things. If I, if I thought about all the things that I've said to hurt people, I forget what lies behind and I say, Lord, use me. Use me from this day forward. Use me. I forget what lies behind and I reach forward to what lies ahead. The enemy would love to keep you in the defeated state. He'd love to keep you. Keep piling it on. Oh, look what you did. Look at the way you destroyed your life. You forget what lies behind and you go forward. You go forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness. In Jesus Christ, there is hope. If you do not have Jesus this this day, I call upon you. Please come to him this day. Give your life to Jesus this day. If you don't know Jesus, please come over to my home this day. We have a lunch right after this. And, and, and come to my home for lunch. I want to talk to you. I want to tell you my story about how I came to Jesus. If you don't know the Lord, I want to invite you to my home to hear my story about Jesus. Everyone in the class is invited to my home to lunch today. But if you know the Lord, just remember, I'm going to focus first on those who don't know the Lord. Because I want to tell them my story. And I want you to come to the Lord. The only way you can get through this is with Christ Jesus. You know, I I was listening to an interview of Dennis Prager this week. Dennis Prager is a Jewish man, so he's under different constraints than we are as as, as Christians. But Dennis Prager is is really a great man, and he's an Orthodox Jew, and he's, uh, well, he he was trained by Orthodox Jews and and, uh, really loves Judaism. And as he was being interviewed by by Eric Metaxas, um, Eric said, this is your wife here and your mother-in-law. And he, and he says, but this is not your first wife. He says, no, it's my third wife. Dennis Prager said, this is my third wife. He says, you know, when I got married, I wanted to be a husband of one wife my whole life. I thought that's what I want to do. I want to marry this woman. He says, I'm on number three. He says, I'm not proud of it, but that's what it is. And I'm going to continue on with the best of my life, with, with, my, my, with my life the best that I can. The best that I can, I'm going to continue on with my life. Now, I'm not, I'm not advocating that you go through multiple marriages. But what I am saying is, there are things that happen in life. And you don't let it stop there. You've got to get on and get on with your life. And still accomplish what the Lord has for you. This is what we see with the life of, of Abraham. He could have just stopped and said, Boy, I just totally blew it with Hagar. Now i got two women in the home fighting over each other and worrying that you know one child is going to get hurt by another. I'm out of here. You know, he could have thought that. But what he does is he listens to God. And God says, this is what you're going to do. And, and I'll take care of the past stuff. I'll take care of your son. I'll take care of Hagar. He told David, David lost everything. He was able to strengthen himself in the Lord and David was able to recover all. The next time David fell into deep sin, he wasn't able to recover all. There were strings of dead people along the way. 
There was a lot of hurtful things that came into David's life, but he could recover in the sense that he could continue serving the Lord, he could continue writing psalms and, and worshiping the Lord. There is recovery. There are things that we have to deal with because of the past, but there is recovery. And then there was, there was King Saul, who says that, look, the only way that I can go on in life is I don't look back. The past is the past. I have got to live my life for Jesus starting today. And that's what I encourage you to do. When you really blow it, do not give up. Do not give up. He has a tremendous place for you in ministry, ministering to other people's people. And because of your past, because of the pain of your past, you will be able to speak into other people's lives in ways that I can't speak into their lives because I never experienced that pain but you've experienced it and you'll be able to speak into other people's lives. I encourage you to press on, but it's only in Christ. I press on for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, I forget about the past. That is the only way to deal with it. And Abraham was moving on. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for these young people. And I pray in the name of Jesus for those who have gone through painful sagas in the past that they would forget what lies behind and press on to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That they would strengthen themselves in the Lord. That they would go into God's presence and seek Him and be strengthened. And then they would be used to convert sinners to you that their testimonies, that their lives would in a special way be used to draw people to Jesus. Father, have mercy on them. And Father, for those here who do not know you, oh Lord, I plead for their souls that they would know you, that they would come to my home today and hear the message of the gospel. Father, that they would come to Jesus this day Father, I pray for their souls. Save their souls, O oh Lord, I pray. And I commit this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.